This is Real Estate Rookie Show Number Six. I'd love to just talk to you very briefly in like three to five minutes on the phone just to make sure that this house is what you're looking for. And I'd love to ask some initial questions for you. And then we can set up a time for a showing, right? And that's called pre-screening. So that initial discussion is so critical so that you don't waste your time and you don't waste their time. Because if you don't do that and you just immediately set up a showing from the first interaction, then they're going to get there. I'm like, oh, shoot, I, I thought it was a four bedroom instead of a three bedroom. And then it's a waste of everybody's time. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I am here with my co-host, the Gap model, Mr. Felipe Mejia. <laughs> Why do I got to be the Gap model? All I did was get a haircut. Because you're looking good. <laughs> Thank you. I, I got a haircut and I'm wearing a shirt. Now, the reason you're saying that is I was in Daytona, Florida. I was quarantining myself. I was listening to our leaders and making sure that I was, you know, say, you know, in a safe distance from others. But I was on vacation, so I didn't have any shirts. Um, so I came back home to Nashville. You make it seem like you've been shirtless this whole time. Well, at one podcast, you told me to go change my shirt. I was in a tank top. That's all I had. No, but... So I came back to Nash to to, to get some essentials and stuff. So that's why I'm I'm finally wearing a, a decent shirt. And you have to tell everyone, because I love your wife. I got to meet her about a month ago when I came to visit you in Nashville. Please tell everyone what the essentials were that she asked for. Because I just love okay. her and she is so cute. Well, Listen to this. I love my wife. She's amazing. But I don't think she understands the word essential. Right. So I came back for clothes, more deodorant, a toothpaste, you know, some things that we need, toilet paper that we had hidden here. And I was like, okay, babe, what do you need? I want to make sure that I get stuff for you too. Do you need more clothes? Do you need? She's like, okay, I, I, I need my hair straightener and my tweezers. And I was like, no, babe, like essentials. If that can fit that in the luggage, then I will. But I got it. She's like, okay, listen, my, my, my robe my tweezers, and my hair straightener. And those are her essentials. <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness. I love that because my list would probably be something similar. <laughs> I could see that being yeah. the essentials. We have a great show today, by the way. Yes, we do. We have Lucas Hall on here. He has a website called landlordology.com. And on his website, he talks about being a landlord and specifically tenant screening is what we are going to talk to him about today. He actually has a guide that he wrote on his website. So we'll talk a little bit about that and how he might be changing his systems or what he's doing with tenants that can't pay during uh, coronavirus. Yeah. And then we have a rookie guest who's actually going to ask him some questions because he is literally going through something right now where he has a four bedroom house. He's living in one room. He's house hacking too. And he has a spare bedroom that he needs to rent out. But, you know, due to the whole coronavirus thing, he's like kind of nervous, kind of scared, doesn't know where he's going to go. And Lucas really gives him some information on how to properly screen a tenant mm -hmm. and get the right paying tenant in there. And I thought that was the end of it. And then Lucas drops a bomb and says, but the tenant also has to be willing to pay. Not just can he, but willing. Blew my mind. I love the show. I can't wait to get into it. And then for me, uh, there, there was a moment there where it was like 10 minutes of me just like quiet because I'm just like listening to you and him talk and you guys just drop bombs. So great show. You're really excited to have him on. Yeah, and I love that we brought a rookie on to ask the questions, and we've been doing the shows like that, getting rookies on here, and that's been my favorite part, and Lucas really brought some value to Andreas, so let's stop wasting time, and let's just bring Lucas on. 
Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So today we are going to focus on tenant screening. This is a common question we've seen in the forums on uh, the Rookie Facebook page. What's going on right now? And can we still find tenants? Are people losing tenants? So we're going to talk all about that today with Lucas Hall. So hi, Lucas. Hey guys, thanks for having me. This is awesome. I'm super excited to be here. Hey Lucas, thanks for coming on the show, man. And thanks for talking. I know our listeners really want to know about this topic, about tenant screening, especially right now with everything that's going on, the uncertainty. People want to know with regard to tenants, good tenants, bad tenants, how to get the right tenants, cream of the crop, stay away from the bad ones. I mean, they're, they're really wanting to know everything to do with tenants because that's going to be their livelihood if they're investing in real estate right now. Sure. Yeah, I mean, tenant screening is critical. I, I tend to think that the best way to find good tenants is to make sure that they never move in in the first place. So it all starts at the very beginning before you sign any lease. And honestly, for me, I've, I've been leasing properties, renting my own properties for uh, almost 15 years now. And I, I've never once had a situation where a tenant bails on me for rent, or I've had to go all the way through eviction. And I, I think that's not because I'm just lucky. I think it's because I spend the necessary amount of time and the information to screen tenants properly. And if you do that, you won't have much of a problem later on. That's great for over 15 years, not having to <laughs> go through a full eviction or 
have anyone leave without paying. Sure. So I understand all of that. And for the last uh, 15 to, sorry, for about six years or so, I've been teaching other landlords how to be more practical, more efficient, better off, and how to avoid pitfalls like that. And where are you investing now? Do you have your properties? Sure. Yeah, I have, I have five properties in three states, uh, about 20 to 22 tenants a year. Some are in DC, some are in Virginia, and I've got two in Colorado. Okay. How do you manage the screening on the ones out of state? Do you have a, a leasing agent out of state that does that for you? No, I don't. So actually, uh, I live in Colorado now. I'm, I'm just outside of Denver and uh, two thirds of my properties are in DC and Virginia. So okay. I tend to manage those from 2000 miles away, including screening, including showings, including lease signings. So I've got that down to a science and uh, it's it's not that hard. And, you know, it's funny because with all the crisis that's going on with pandemic, it's it's interesting because a lot of the techniques I've used for years with remotely screening people, it's like everybody wants to do that now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's interesting because we get a lot of a lot of questions about screening tenants. And what would you say has been like the What's like the, the the golden rule for you when screening tenants to make sure you don't ever have to evict somebody or don't ever have to, you know, go after somebody for rent or things like that? So critical. So the number one most important thing you can do when you're screening tenants is to make sure that they're able and willing to pay rent. And so those are two very different things, right? If they're able to pay rent, that means they have some sort of income or they have just a chunk of cash that they're, they've allocated towards this and they have the means to do so. But willing is a different thing. So I've met a, a number of people who have hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank and they're trying to rent my property and they also have a chip on their shoulder and they just like to kind of stick it to the man more often than not. And so I can wow. tell that they they would not pay me if they had a choice. You know, mm-hmm. so the means able and willing are two very different things. But if you can find somebody who is able and willing to pay rent, I think most of your other problems will go away. How do you question willing though? I mean, how do you, what's a good way to say, oh, this person is going to be willing to pay or is not going to be willing to pay? Let's dig into that. Right. Yeah. Past performance. So it's just like anything else. You know, if you go in for a job interview and they want to know, have you been able to do something similar in the past and how successful were you? It's the same thing. So when you're, when you're taking that application from somebody, you want to make sure that you get their last two landlords information. So you can contact not only the place where they're living right now, but you want to contact the place that they moved out of prior to that, because you talk to that second, going back second landlord, and that's the person that's going to tell you the truth. And that's the person that would say, well, they paid me most of the time, or maybe they left the property in a mess and, and they trashed it before they left. But that current landlord that they're working with, yeah, I mean, it's good to talk to that person, but he or she might not be truthful with you if they're trying to get the person out of their house. And they certainly don't know what condition the property was left in. So you want to ask both those people if they've paid rent on time, if they would rent uh, to those people again, if they ever you know, had any issue with late payments at all. And did they give them a hard time about paying the full amount? I mean, it's really, really comes down to that. And if, if they have a couple of year history of paying rent on time without any flaws, then they're probably going to be okay. Could you take us through like your whole process step-by-step? Pretend Felipe and I are our applicants. We uh, just graduated college, you know, big partiers ready to get out into the, (laughs) the real world. And maybe Felipe has a job that he's starting and I'm unemployed looking for my first job out of college. So would you take us through that process of how you would screen us and see if we would be a good fit for your property? Yeah, sure. 
All right, partiers, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so first and foremost, you create some sort of a listing, right? You, you want to get your property out there. And there's a variety of means to do that. Once you have that out there, people are going to start inquiring, right? And so the first thing I do is most of my inquiries where they come through email or phone, most of the time through email. And I just say, hey, listen, thanks for inquiring. I'd love to just talk to you very briefly in like three to five minutes on the phone just to make sure that you know this house is what you're looking for. And I'd love to ask some initial questions for you. And then we can set up a time for a showing, right? And that's called pre-screening. So that initial discussion is so critical so that you don't waste your time and you don't waste their time. Because if you don't do that and you just immediately set up a showing from the first interaction, then they're going to get there. I'm like, oh, shoot, I, I thought it was a four bedroom instead of a three bedroom. And then it's a waste of everybody's time. So what I do is I get them on the phone. It literally takes three to five minutes. If they're not willing to get on the phone with me, that's a red flag right, right there. Mm -hmm. And so I can eliminate them. But I usually ask them a couple very basic questions. One is, why are you moving? Right? You'd be surprised how many self-incriminating messages come out of that. Uh, when are you looking to move? And that's critical, not because it, it's necessary to find out uh, really, it, it's really necessary to find out if the timing matches up with when you're looking. So for example, a lot of times I'll get somebody who's interested and they really are super interested. They want to throw down a deposit. It's great, but they want to move in four months after I want them to move in. And so I would potentially have four months of vacancy and it's just not a great fit. So I'm looking for somebody who's willing to move or, or can move around the time that I'm going to have a vacancy so that I don't, uh, you know, I keep that place rented as much as possible. Then I talk about pets and smoking, whatever the rules are there for, for that property. And then also I talk about the income requirements. I tell them, hey, listen, this is what it takes from an income standpoint to qualify for here. So let's talk about that real quick. If you meet those standards, then great, we can keep going. If not, then let's stop here. And then also I talk about uh, credit and background check requirements. And so in some counties and states, you actually are required to post or discuss your screening requirements before you take an application. So by law, sometimes you have to do that. I like to tell them what the credit requirements are, you know, what the eviction requirements are or background check and, and just let them let them talk a little bit. And, uh, and then I tell them about the property briefly. And, and then if they're still interested, then I say, great, let's set up a showing. So from there, I would, I would say, hey, listen, I'd love for you to check it out. Why don't we get together? I'll, I'll walk you through it or I'll have some sort of uh, agent of mine go through it with you. <laughs> in, in the case of now, right, with, with everybody keeping social distancing six feet apart, one technique you can do, which I, I've certainly done before, is you say, hey, listen, I, I'm, I don't want to meet with you necessarily to show it to you, but love to do a FaceTime walkthrough with you. So if they have an iPhone or, or they use a different tool and you can walk through the property with them, it's just like they're there and they can ask questions in real time and you can go through the property with them. I like that a lot because my, my property management company is just doing virtual walkthroughs where they just take the video and they're putting on their YouTube, which I thought was great, but doing the FaceTime so that they can say, oh, you know, can you zoom in on that closet? I you know, want to see in there a little more. That's a great idea. Yeah, you, you never know what they're going to be interested in. So sometimes mm -hmm. people want you to focus on the kitchen and sometimes they want you to focus on the bedrooms. Yeah. So I, I find that that is vastly superior than than just doing a YouTube video, which is also good, but not quite as good. Right, right. So if they love that, if they love the property, they want to see it, they also can ask questions. Then from there, I'll invite them to apply and I'll use an online application. So I've always used online applications. If you aren't using an online application to uh, to collect app, you know, 
correct tenants, potential tenants, then I then start doing that because especially now with the virus and everything, you just don't want to touch anything anybody else has touched. You don't want to do deal with paper applications. And it just saves time not having to get the application to them or and get it back from them too. To me, that's the biggest thing is saves time. Right. And you know, I had a I'll tell you a quick story real quick. I, I had a group of applicants who were looking at this property. She had flown in from California. She looked at the condo and she said it was great. It's exactly what they're looking for. But she had to go back to California the next day. And she goes, well, I, I really need my tenants to or my roommates to weigh in on this. And I thought, well, shoot, I didn't, I didn't know you had two other roommates. I thought, you know, what I didn't know. But I said, well, they probably should see it, right? I mean, they probably should see it before they apply. And so I sent her the link to the application and all the pictures. And then on her ride back to her hotel, she texted her roommates who weren't even in the area. They saw the pictures, they saw the video. She had taken some pictures while she was there and had the application. And one of the roommates was actually in the middle of hiking the Matterhorn in Switzerland when she got this email. <laughs> and they, they were literally camping on the side of the mountain. And wow. she, you know, she was able to fill out the application remotely from the side of the Matterhorn. And I had all three applications with all three credit reports and all three background checks by that night. And so I wow. could look at it and the next day tell them, congratulations, you got it. So I, I don't know what was more impressive, like the speed at which an online application helped me collect applicants mm -hmm. or the fact that she had self-service on the side of the matter. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it goes both ways too, because if you were off vacationing somewhere, you could still review those online applications too. So that's what I love about it. And there's a ton of software out there that uh, works fantastic with your mobile device. So you, like you said, you could be sitting on a beach checking credit reports yeah. while you're where you're screening somebody. And what software do you use? Uh, I use Cozy. So okay. Cozy cool. is my go-to. And then if they all apply, then I immediately look at their applications. I immediately look at their credit reports and background checks. And this is probably the most critical part, but it's also uh, the quickest. So if you use a tool like Cozy or another tool that has online applications, they'll summarize it all together for you real easy. And you can see what their, their income together is, you know, what the household income is. You can see how that compares the rent amount. And if it's two times the rent amount or three times the rent amount, uh, you can look at the credit scores. And so I have a set list of kind of non-negotiables, right? And I'm looking to see if it hits those. So let's just run through those real quick. So for me personally, I, I, I want the household income to be somewhere between two to three times the monthly rent, depending on the property. So if it's a less expensive property, it's, it's three times. If it's more expensive, it's two times. Depending on your county or state, you might need to keep that number the same, regardless of which properties you have. But I look at that and I set that in stone for each property. And then I, I look at the credit report. I look at the score first. If their score is below 650, then I dive in a lot deeper. Um, what I'm looking for is what I call stupid debt. So it's like, okay, yeah, I mean, they might have $300,000 in maybe student loan debt, which would be a lot, I guess. So $300,000 in a mortgage or medical debt, but that's okay, right? I, I don't have a problem with that because I would take $300,000 in mortgage debt over $30,000 on a Gap store credit card. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of clothes. You know, they may love the Gap and that's cool, but if they're spending $30,000 and putting it on a credit right. card, you know, a store credit card, then they're probably not the right tenant for me. So that's what I call stupid debt. What another thing be for you is the like collections on utility bills. Because that's one thing that's been coming up for me recently. And I know that we had one applicant that couldn't 
they wouldn't be able to get the electric in their name because of the collection was so large from the electric company. So they couldn't move in anyways. But I was just wondering your, th- your thoughts on that. Yeah, utilities, essential things. I mean, those are no-brainers, right? Like if mm-hmm. they haven't paid their rent, but isn't that's not necessarily going to show up on the credit report. But if they haven't paid the rent, that's a huge red flag. If they haven't paid their utilities, that's like the second biggest red flag because mm-hmm. you need electricity to live. You need heat to live. And if they can't even afford that, they're not prioritizing that over their big screen TV or their cable television, then they're not going to prioritize rent over something else, right? So it, it, it goes hand in hand. Lucas, let me ask you a question that I know that some of the newbies are going to want to know because this was something that shocked me. And now on the other side, I'm like, well, that shouldn't have never shocked you. Like I should have known better. But I get this all the time where people are like, Felipe, I have a tenant that wants to pay cash for the next three months up front and can't wait to move in and has got three months rent in their hand now. I should let them in. Right. And I'll let you take over. Yeah. <laughs> Huge red flag. Yes. Yes. Don't do it. And I've been there too. I mean, I've had him walk up. This guy walked up in a car that was worth, well, he didn't walk up. He could drove up and then walked out, but he came in a car that was worth a whole lot less than the amount of money that he was handing me, trying to hand me. And it was rolled up with a rubber band around it, right? So it was in a literal roll and he was trying to like hand it to me in the way that you would hand somebody if you didn't want to be suspicious, right? Like you're trying to like want to sort of shake hands with money in your hand type of thing. The way grandma would slip you a 20. So, so no, cash is a huge red flag because that just means that they, they're doing business all in cash, which, okay, it, you know, can be okay, but uh, it makes me want to dive in deeper. And so I certainly absolutely don't want to accept that money right then and there. Okay. If it, you know, if they want to pay cash, I'll tell them, you know, hey, let's go through the screening process. And I'm so sorry, I don't I don't accept cash. If you want to pay me later after we go through the screening process, I will let you know, just go to the 7-Eleven and get a cashier's check and bring that to me. Right. And so at least I have some sort of record that way. Uh, but I never, ever, ever accept anybody who is willing it wants to jump in the next day and say, I'm gonna move in tomorrow. And here's three months worth of rent of rent, rent. I I oh my gosh, I had a terrible story about that. Someone wanted to pay you know, three months rent up front. And I was like, oh, heck yeah, this is great. And then it took me three months to get him out. So they lived, you know, they paid three months and lived for six months. So, mm-hmm. so I mean, yeah, terrible idea. I would never do that either anymore. And I, I'll tell you why it's a red flag, mainly because if they want to move in right away, it's probably because they're being kicked out of their last place. Yeah. So. Right. Because most people have to give 30 day, 60 day notice so you would start shopping around then for your apartment not wait until last minute right either they've done something so atrocious that their landlord is doing an immediate termination to quit or Mm -hmm. they've they've had proper notice and they just waited to the last possible moment and either way it's a bad deal for you so it's worth skipping on that person or at least going through the credit report process because (laughs) i found that the people who want to give me cash and move right away are also the people that that are going to gripe about the $39 credit report and background check fee. Yep. You know, so same ones. And now a lot of our listeners also do the house hack, right? A lot of them do house hack, uh, including myself, my whole business strategy around real estate is the house hack. And every single one of my tenants, all of my 45 tenants pay in cash. Now you were saying you don't handle any cash, right? So or, or can you do you mind explaining a little of that? Because I know a lot of house hackers that they live with their three other tenants and they just collect cash or Venmo nowadays. too. Did you say you have 45 tenants that house hack with you? 
Yeah, I have a lot of houses that are all house hacked. Okay, sorry. Yeah, no, uh, house hacking. I, um, not like not like with me. I don't live with forty two people. A lot of no, no, no. Sorry. Okay, I have eight houses with a certain amount of rooms. You rent that all by are, the room. I rent by the room. No, I don't house hack. <laughs> I have forty two rent teammates that rent with me here. Yeah, I, I I just don't like cash for a lot of reasons. One is if they have to pay, if they literally pay cash, I mean somebody has to pick it up, right? Do you, do you pick up your tenants' cash, or how do you how do they get that actual cash to you? I pick it all up. Cozy, we've looked into Cozy personally and it doesn't fit the bill for us. We have yet to find a company that adequately would serve my purpose and especially some of my other friends that do like high number of, of house hack. I've, I've yet to find an app that would that would suffice with what we need. What's the problem? Is it the fact that there's roommates, like individual leases on each room it's, that you're having trouble? Yeah, there's individual leases in each room. Everyone's paying Venmo or, you know, separate account. And then what we can't do is we can't link the bank accounts. If I go to the bank with Cozy, for example, they say the house needs to make the deposit as one by itself. I can't individually do four deposits and follow. For Cozy and probably most of the other pro- programs, you would just create a multifamily property like it, yes yeah, it's you, one house but then you would create multiple units so bedroom number one would be unit number one or you can call it bedroom number one and then each room has its own lease and so each separate rent ledger and separate payment calendar and separate everything i'd love to figure it out we had a we had a conversation i'd love to that do would that. be yeah. the same for buildium and appfolio that i've worked with too you would just make them each a separate unit instead of like one house with the and that gives them the it. ability to pay with a credit card or a bank, you know, bank account if they want to. I guess just the biggest reason I'm scared to collect cash is that I don't want to get robbed. I know that sounds silly, but but honestly, I've seen this too many times. So I have a couple houses in on Capitol Hill in DC. And while it's a nice neighborhood, it still isn't, you know, immune to crime. And uh, I've ha- I've had friends, other other landlords with houses where they literally show up on the first of the month every single month and then after a while, the the people who want to rob from you, they could be friends of the tenants for all we know, will wait outside. They'll wait outside the building and wow. wait for you to leave with $10,000 in your pocket and just, you know, ask you for it <laughs> lately. And, <laughs> and it's just a little scary. So I, I don't want to be in a situation where I'm walking around with that much money in my pocket, especially on a regular basis where where they know it's once a month. And and another thing <laughs> another thing with that is I actually had a um, a lady come up to me at a conference and I asked her how she collected rent and she said, "Oh, I I do <laughs> I do the ice cream truck method." And I was like, "I I'm so sorry. I had no idea what that is. Like, will you please please tell me." She goes, "Well, you know, I collect cash and I I have all my houses on the same street. And so what I do on the first of the month is I I roll my windows down and I blare my music <laughs> and I just drive down the street." And they all come out of their house, throw money in my car. Oh my God. And I was like, you can't make that story up. I believe you 100%. You can't make that up. And she thought that was the best thing. So oh I, I, I couldn't help her. But, you know, I think there's other better ways than than that. I agree. I agree. I'm itching to find a way to do it. And I've done extensive research. I've looked at Cozy and Buildium. And I'd love to sit down one day and do, learn a way to do it better. Absolutely. Yeah, because Felipe is one of the people that drive around on the first of the month now to collect. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I don't know about the music blaring, but. It's like salsa music with my peoples. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, another thing with if you do turn on one of these systems, a lot of them will accept like gift cards, like Visa gift cards and stuff. So if they if they do have money on cards, maybe they aren't bankable or not 
you know, unbankable. Uh, if, if that's the case, they can also pay through like yeah. gift cards and stuff like that or credit cards. So that's cool. Okay. So we talked a little bit about the credit report. What about a background check? Yeah. So this is key. I mean, and actually, if you've listened to the news at all in the last couple of years, more and more cities, especially bigger cities, are starting to require that you can't use background check judgments necessarily. And there's a variety mm-hmm. of reasons for that. But generally speaking, in, in the majority of the United States, you can use a background check and you can use uh, criminal activity as a form of screening. And so what I tend to do, these are my requirements. I tend to tell them, hey, listen, you can't ever have an eviction on your record. Now, it drops off after a number of years. But if it's on the record, that's a that's a big no-no. Because what that means is not that your landlord said, hey, you got to leave. An actual eviction judgment is where you as a tenant decide, I'm going to not pay rent usually, and I think I'm right. And then the landlord says, you're not right. I'm going to take you to court. And then you go to court and the judge rules against you. So you were actually incorrect for withholding rent or doing something like that. And the judge said, no, you're against, you're breaking the law. Like you need to go. And so if you have that judgment against you, that means you thought you were so right and you were so wrong. And I don't want that person in my house, <laughs> right? right? Now, if they got kicked out of a place because the landlord just terminated, at least I don't care. And that's not going to be on the record. Um, but what I typically do is say no evictions ever. And I look at criminal history for the last two years. I don't necessarily judge for certain things, but I don't ever let them have any sort of violent crime history. If they've abused somebody or beat somebody or they've been destructive, like maybe they burned down the last landlord's house, you know, I don't want an arsonist in my right. house. <laughs> it's just not not okay. So that kind of stuff, no violent or destructive history. For the safety of your neighbors or, you know, other people, if it's a multifamily living on the property, that's that's important. And I think right now would be a good time to mention, too, that you had kind of briefly said what's the law in your state is that every state varies and it's very important to look at what you can use as your criteria and what you can't and also following fair housing laws to make sure that your criteria is the same for everyone. And at least in Buffalo and New York, there's the Section 8 housing authorities. So in Buffalo, it's called Belmont and they actually do free classes and they have a a book that they give out too, which states all of this for you. So I recommend um, everyone, if you can, find your local housing authority and take one of those free classes and take, um, you know, get a hold of that book. But also, if you're ever in a situation where someone's coming after you about discriminating or not following fair housing laws, it's kind of nice to go and say, you know, I take this free class every single year. You know, I, I know what the laws are and I am following them. Yeah, of course. And, and to your point, especially with Section 8, a lot of a lot of areas require that source of income is actually a, a protected class. And so I guess we can talk about that real quick. There's like the federal seven, as I call them, for these protected classes. And those are race, color, religion, sex, familial status, like size your family, national origin, and then any sort of mental or physical disability. But in many, 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 many cities and states, source of income. So just because someone doesn't have a job right, or a W-2 income doesn't mean you can discriminate upon them, especially if they're receiving Section 8 housing vouchers. Like that is a source of income. And as long as they can pay rent, that's okay. You have to count that. Yeah. I actually heard a story recently where um, this investor, his mom had a couple properties and she listed it on Facebook Marketplace and she received a message from someone saying, do you accept uh, Section 8 vouchers or something along that lines? And she said no. And it was actually someone undercover who was trying to catch her because you have to 
accepted in that state. But I, I thought that was very interesting. So be careful. Know your laws and <laughs> before you respond. Right. And it is a web. I mean, it really is a, a web you can get tangled in because I know cities like D.C., it's not just so easy to accept a housing voucher. You actually, as a landlord, have to go through a long training process and then your house has to be inspected by the housing department and then you have to get approved and make repairs before you qualify. So it's not just a yes or no question. There's right. more to it. <laughs> But for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, let's continue on with after the background chat. Is there anything else you require, like a driver's license, their social security number? What what happens there? I do. So, yes. So I don't necessarily need the social security number for credit and background. I know that sounds weird, but I use tools like Cozy and other tools where it just they put it in. I don't necessarily have to see it, but then it authorizes it and I get all the information. And to be honest, I don't want the social security number of somebody I'm going to reject. I, I don't right. need it, right? I don't ever want it. I don't want to be accused of stealing their identity. But I do want to see them in person. You know, I, I, well, I want to see their face. I require that we either meet in person. Sometimes that's done through the showing. Or other times in like now, we just FaceTime and we just say, hey, let's talk, right? And then I will compare that to the driver's license that they send me, right? So they'll take a picture of it, text it to me. It's fine. Uh, I want to make sure that they have a photo, a government-issued photo ID so that they're not uh, stealing somebody's identity and moving in, or they're using their grandma's identity. I mean, to be honest, that, that's happened before. So I want to make sure I get a photo ID. And then for income verification uh, next, right, I, I go and I look at their last pay stub. That's the biggest thing. So if they have a W-2 job, they have a pay stub. And that'll tell me how much they make on an annual basis, how long they've been employed there, and, and, and who their employer is. And I look to make sure that all that matches up with what they've told me in their application to see if they've fudged anything. Um, if they aren't a W-2 and they don't have a regular income or they're self-employed and it kind of comes in waves, right? That you can handle that easily, right? You just need to ask for their tax returns or you need to verify their bank statements. I typically don't want their bank statements, you know, unless I have to, that's kind of a last resort. Cause I don't really want to know all their business or their bank account numbers. Like I don't, I don't want that liability. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, tax, tax reports are, are, the next best thing. So that's usually what I do for self-employed. And would you recommend when people give you these documents to like cross out some of like their social security number or their bank account number? Absolutely. And I know that there are some landlords out there that are like, I want all that information because I want to be able to sue them, you know, if I have to. And uh, like, I get it. Like I I get that, but it's so much of a liability and you don't actually need the social security number. Right. Yeah. You don't need that information. You don't even need their driver's license. Really? (laughs) Lucas, what if somebody, what if someone's in between jobs, you said W2, so what would you say if someone's like, all right, well, I'm in between the next job to the next job. Maybe they do have a little bit of a history at their last job. You can call the last employer, but I don't know. They're going from one job to the next and there's a month in between or something and their lease just happens to come up because I've gotten that before. So what would you do in that situation? I get that all the time because I rent to young professionals who are moving right. wherever to DC to do like congressional internships and they, they're starting in a month. And as long as they have an offer letter from the future employer that says what they're going to make, that's good enough. Right. I believe the job is there. I believe that's how much they're going to make. And I'll qualify them based on that. Now, if they don't have a job offer letter and they just say, hey, I'm going to move to town and then I'm going to get a job. Well, that's called being unemployed. And I I, (laughs) (laughs) that's unemployed. (laughs) Right. They just need to have some sort of money to show that they can pay rent. So maybe they have a bunch of money in the account or worse. You know, if I believe that they're going to get a job, I'll just 
you know, I'll say, hey, listen, you know, I can't give it to you based on your income because you don't have one, but I can co-qualify you with a with a co-signer. So go get a parent, go get a relative, go get somebody who makes more than you, which is anything, and you know, have them apply with you, and then we won't have a problem. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. When Bigger Pockets started podcasting, no one thought we needed a store, but then books, so many books, best-selling books, rookie books, partnership books. We needed the best real estate bookstore ever, so we chose Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch stage to the first order stage to the, did we just sell out the whole store stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling real estate books or retro clothing, Shopify's platform helps you sell everywhere, online or in person. Now, speaking of online, did you know Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better than other leading commerce platforms? And no matter how big you grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control of your business. And that's why we chose Shopify for the Bigger Pockets Bookstore. So sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash bprookie, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash bprookie now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash bprookie. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Lucas, let me ask you one last question that some of the rookies that I know that um, that rent to also a different class of tenants, DACA recipients. Have you ever had a DACA recipient apply? Who will? Uh, let me give you a more example. Who would, m- maybe doesn't have a social security but has an EIN number 
or is using, uh, you know, something, a government issued ID, but is it is still in limbo in that situation? Yeah, you know, actually I have, now I'm thinking about it. I I had a foreign exchange student from China who came over, yep, yep, and they don't have social security numbers, so they can't possibly get, you can't get a credit report on them, uh, or Mm -hmm. can't easily. There are companies out there that do international credit reports, or at least that's what they're calling it. And it's a, there are companies out there that will go and try to search the databases of those countries if that data is available. Now it's (laughs) it's sparse, but you know, it's a possibility and forget the name of the company. I haven't talked to them in like a year, but they're out there and you can try that. Uh, You know, what we did in the case of this foreign exchange student, he actually had a recommendation letter from the university that he was working with and from the program and showed essentially it was a paid internship or paid foreign exchange thing. It was weird. I hadn't seen that before, but he was actually making money off of it. So even better. And he had these like official documents. Right. So. I, I just used what I could and as much as I could. And then I tried to call his former landlords, which in this case were in China. So I, you know, I didn't have much to go on, but, but I could qualify him enough to take a risk. Now, now, if you're not sure, if you're still not sure based on the information they give you, right, then what you can do to offset your risk is to require a larger security deposit. It's the most simple way to do it. Just say, hey, listen, normally the security deposit is one month's rent. But in this situation, I'm going to need two months rent. And if, you know, they can't really argue with you because they they don't have the other things that other tenants do. And you're not discriminating because you're trying to find a way around the fact that they aren't, you're not able to qualify them with the other means. So exactly. And if that's not good enough, or if you can't do that for some reason, then you can just say, hey, listen, I need you to pay three months up front and just pro you know, prepay that rent. And that also is a, sometimes a law in your state if they if there are regulations on how much rent you can pay up front. So I had a guy who I, I couldn't qualify. This was a different guy. He wasn't a foreign exchange student, but a different guy. Couldn't qualify him because he, he didn't have a job, but he had a ton of money in the bank. I mean, it was weird. He, he was a trust fund baby. He just had money, and uh, but no job. And I said, all right, well, I have no guarantee of your income. So why don't you just pay six months up front? And he was like, sure, and wrote a check and it was easy. You know, so I was okay with that. Yeah, for New York State, I know that you cannot ask for a security deposit larger than one month's rent. So once again, you know, you have to, there's so many different ways that you could screen someone and what you can qualify for them or not, or different ways to get them approved by having a co-signer or getting a security deposit, but just make sure they fit within your local laws. Yeah. So we actually have a, a question for you. It is what system do you find the most effective for a full background check? So credit, criminal history. This is from Aisha on Facebook. Hey, Aisha. Thanks for chiming in. I I, I like Cozy. I, I mentioned earlier, I've used Cozy. I like it because it gets into a social security trace. It gets into a national and county criminal history. And then it gets into a sex offender watch list and a national terrorist watch list. So the two biggest things you're looking for is a national and and county criminal history. That's for me, the biggest thing. Sex offender, you know, I I feel for those who have been, you know, who've paid their time and and gotten out or done whatever for sex offense. But it is critical to sometimes to know if they are, are they not, not because if your property is within a certain amount of distance from a school, there are laws against them living there. And so you kind of need to know that. I mean, if you're not near a school or some other places where lots of kids 
hang out if, if it is a child situation then uh you know you don't have to worry or you do have to worry about it but otherwise you don't so it's important to just know those things and uh and i, I use cozy but you know as long as they're checking national and county criminal i think those are the two big things that's great i didn't even realize you know that the different background checks could just exclude local or county so that's a great tip one more thing too it, it is tricky sometimes with counties because you have to know if your county uh, participates in a lot of online mm-hmm. systems because some counties yeah. uh, you know i think up until recently i mean like we're talking about really recently san diego county in california didn't report their judgments to anybody so wow. like you know <laughs> if you wanted a local That's county history <laughs> you had to go down to the courthouse you know and, and pull it yourself yeah get, get like you know some lady behind the counter or some guy to walk down to the file cabinet oh. and pull it for you so you just got to watch out sometimes yeah i just want to add to that software real quick. Uh, the Appfolio and Buildium are two other softwares too that are property management software that have the tenant screening built in. So Buildium, I believe, is like cozy where it's emails the the applicant directly and then they, you know, they pay the fee, they fill in their information and then the credit report is sent back to you. Whereas Appfolio, they actually set you up as I don't know the right terminology, but they come and do an an inspection of your office and do a background credit check on you. And then you actually get to run the screening directly. Uh, So those those are are two different hard inquiries. And those are where you become a a credit reporting system, you know, and that's that's great because then you can pull credit reports at will. But it's you're no different than a than a car leasing office or or a mortgage company, right? They're just pulling credit reports all the time. And the downside of that is that you have to meet certain federal regulations. Like you Mm -hmm. have to have a locking file cabinet, you have to have a locking door, you have to have all these special things. And if you're storing data there, then that's a liability as well. So yeah, and they come and they take pictures and you have to document everything. And then I think it's every two years, you have to get reinspected or if you change offices or you change, you know, whoever's in. Is that what you did? Yes. Yeah, we did do that for the investor that I worked for. But I did find that. So Buildium, when you send um, the email, I found that you really weeded through people who are actually motivated because they had to take more steps on their end to get that, you know, credit and background check done where with that folio one, I could just push a button and it would be done. But we got a bunch of people who never followed up or, you know, never came back to us because they didn't, they didn't care and they weren't true applicants. And it was a waste of time and, you know, money to, <laughs> to run that uh, credit tenant. And a lot of times with the soft inquiries where the system emails the tenant to do the inquiry, you know, they walk them through the whole process. So most of the time they they do complete it, but they also have the option to pay for it themselves. So if if you don't want to front the money, you can do it through the soft inquiry way and that will force them to pay for it. And that that oftentimes is a screening method in itself. You're right. Because if they don't want to pay the 40 bucks, then they're not going to certainly not going to pay rent. Yeah. And here's another disclaimer from Legal Ashley today is that some states might have limits on how much you can actually charge as an applicant application fee. So make sure you are aware of that, too. That's right. And, you know, some of them are like 20 bucks. I mean, it's really, really low. But I think for the most part, they tend to be $50 or above. Yeah. Felipe, do you use any screening software? Nope. Yeah. <laughs> I, all my, all, all, all of my tenants, that's why I'm letting Ashley run the show today, man. She's, she's really, she's really good at with this stuff. And I would, I would disclaimer, don't take my advice guys, but all of my tenants, I actually screen a little different because most of my tenants are construction workers 
who are brought up to the state of Tennessee to work from Texas. And I meet their boss who is, he's like, Hey, I'm bringing 40, you know, 40 guys to, I have a three-year contract that I have to build this skyscraper. And basically I have the same tenants for three years. And he's like, they're going to, they're my crew. I'm not hiring guys here. I'm bringing up these construction guys with me. I don't, I don't have time to retrain. I have a, I don't know, $2 million contract or whatever it is. And I, I have all these guys that I have to house. So he'll rent a whole hotel or whatever the case may be until I can, until I can put them in my rooms or I have availability. And then that's when I go out and buy a house, convert it, rent it to the guys, rinse, wash, repeat. And I know that I have tenants for at least three years and I know the boss. And then the boss is like, this is paydays. This is all this. So mine's a little bit different. Should I still be doing what Lucas is saying? A hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. But I know that most of these guys are here by themselves. Their families are back home. I know exactly how much they're making because their boss says, hey, they have a thousand dollar a month stipend. I'm charging them 500 bucks. They're making $500, you know, based on their contract and they're specialty workers. So they're not just like labor guys. Most of them are the ones that drive a crane or have the license to drive the, you know, a certain equipment on the job site. So my tenants are a little different in in that. I, I just don't. I used to when I had a six unit apartment complex, a small one, but not anymore. Most of my guys are just, I just talk to the boss and I know them. Thank you for doing that. that like, that's awesome. And the fact that the fact that you could actually go to their boss if something happens where they don't pay yeah. and you can just tell the boss, Hey, you know, Johnny over here is having trouble. Like that's all the insurance you really need to be honest. Right. Well, Lucas, let's talk about that. How important are references for you? <laughs> well, if they're listing a reference, that's either a family member or a coworker. I don't, I don't actually care that mm-hmm. much because mm-hmm. they're going to, give me a good reference. Like I already know what they're going to say. So I don't even bother it, yeah. The references yeah. I care about are former landlords or, or property managers mm-hmm. or their supervisor. Okay. Right. Those are the only real two references I care about. And uh, I take those heavily. I mean, if they say, Hey, they're a great worker, they show up on time and they always do what they're told and do it well, then, I, then that's great. That's all I need. Cause they've got more of a risk with losing their job than they do at my place. So if they're going to treat their job well, then I, I think they're going to treat my place well too. Hey Lucas, what have you, what's the biggest shift change that you've seen right now with tenants and what have you implemented, you know, during this coronavirus epidemic that we're going through? What has been the biggest change that you have seen in tenants and what uh what have what have you guys implemented right now? Um and I'll let you you kind of take that on. I mean, what what are you guys doing? Yeah, it's it's been a lot more virtual tours, like can't, actual one-on-one virtual tours, not just posting a YouTube video of your place, but virtual tours and then a lot of FaceTime videos. So I, I will do that. And um, what I've seen actually is that tenants will come to me and say, at, like after the fact, and they'll say, hey, that was so great. Thank you. I've been having a hard time finding anyone to show me a place. Or uh, just the fact that I said, hey, can we do we can do a video chat real quick and I'll just you know do a pre-screen for 10 minutes or five minutes. And they say, because I took that initiative, it instantly builds trust on me as a landlord that I'm looking out for them. I'm honoring the law and the orders to stay at home. And I'm saying, you know, I'm not asking them to do anything uncomfortable because if they start feeling uncomfortable and then they associate that with your property, then they're going to have a lot more resistance to signing a lease, which is not what I want. Mm -hmm. What about like tenants who aren't able to pay right now and that are going through hardships? I mean, what is after after they move in, after they sign the lease, if they can't pay rent, then let's say they lose their job. There are a lot of people losing internships, especially like lower jobs that don't necessarily require, you know, like internships or whatever that just uh, can come and go. 
sometimes they're ending early. And I've got a lot of interns on Capitol Hill that are working for me. And they, I just tell them, hey, listen, uh, I wait for them to come to me because I don't want to necessarily volunteer the fact that they can skip rent or delay or whatever. I, I wait till they tell me there's a problem. I do check in with them and I say, hey, how's it going at work? And I look for any red flags. But I say, first and foremost, I say, well, how about we go to a weekly schedule? You know, instead of you paying monthly, why don't you pay weekly? Is that would that make it easier? Like w- would that smaller, more digestible kind of chunk? We try that budget, right? Because a, okay. a huge chunk uh, once a month is oftentimes really hard. But if they can do four smaller chunks, then maybe they'll pay better. Or if they really just don't have the money because they're trying to buy food. And luckily, I haven't had this, but I I've, I can say to them, hey, why don't we just delay for two weeks or something. I'll try to minimize it as much as possible and say, listen, I'll, I'll basically give you an interest-free loan for two weeks. I, you know, you don't have to pay. And after all, my mortgage, usually the, on most mortgages aren't due until or aren't late until the 15th mm-hmm. of the month. So you do have kind of a cushion built in and I'll try to get that rent money before the 15th just to keep things square. But if it goes over, I, you know, I tell them, hey, listen, we got to talk about this. If you've missed the deadline we've set, I, I might have to, you know, we could file for eviction. It, they probably won't hear the eviction for months and months and months, but I might need to go down that road or get an attorney involved. Or worst case scenario, if it's only been a month or two, I can take it out of their deposit at the end of the lease. Like get them out as fast as I can. I, I'm mm-hmm. so sorry that you lost your job, but like you still need to pay rent and I'll try to make accommodations as best I can to help you. But it sounds like you are giving options though. I mean, you're you're creating different systems and different options to where you want to see your tenants succeed and not fail. Hey, I'm going to flex this way. What about weekly, you know, bi-weekly or, you know, it sounds like you're giving them options. And I think that's crucial to even rookie landlords that are like, oh my gosh, I want, what if my tenants can't pay? It's okay, create a system if they can't pay. You know, it's better to have heads and beds than to try to kick people out. And it sounds like your last resort was to, you know, if you have to evict and even watching you say that, it sounded like it even hurt you personally because you're like, it seems like you're trying to create a bunch of ways to help them not to do that. And you even kind of like struggled just to even get it out. So, I mean, that yeah, that's awesome. I, I mean, they're people too. They're just like me, right? Like I, I, I tend to have a good working relationship with my tenants. I, I strive mm-hmm. for that. I want to, it's a business relationship and yeah. I want, I want their family to succeed, you know, because if they succeed, I succeed and they're my customers. So before I, even before I get to eviction or even talking about eviction, I'll suggest also that maybe they go borrow money from family. And now they usually will cringe at that because they don't want to seem like they can't pay their bills. And if that's not an option, I'll tell them, hey, listen, go borrow on a credit card, like put it on a credit card and through various softwares, you can pay rent with a credit card and you can delay it sometimes up to 90 days and it's fine. You know, and I know credit cards are even giving out credit cards now. So if you don't have one, you can even go get one and have it in your hand in like a week and then you can pay your rent. So uh, there's certainly other options. What do you think about cash for keys? So for anyone listening that doesn't know what this is, so this would be if you don't want to go, your resident isn't paying, you don't want to go through an eviction and say it costs you $1,000 to do an eviction from start to end, plus you still don't have their, you know, back rent. This cash for keys is when you offer them, say, hey, you move out, you know, by this Sunday and I'll give you 500 bucks and you give me the keys. So what are your thoughts on that? I love it. Uh, you know, it's it's a oftentimes a, the best solution to a bad situation. So if they can't mm-hmm. pay rent, you don't want them in your place, but you, you don't want to help them fail, right? So oftentimes that cash that you give them, which 
uh, depending on your location, 500 might be n- enough, but in other locations that you might need to be like a thousand or $1,500. And most evictions cost landlords upwards of $5,000 in legal fees and back rent, right? That you're never going to collect. So if you can prevent mm-hmm. that, I mean, heck, $1,500 seems like a steal. So you give them that $1,500 or $500 and that becomes their security deposit for the next place. Like that right. enables them to leave. Otherwise they can't. They, they physically and, and uh, monetarily can't leave. And so you're giving them the means to get out of your hair, which I, I think it's a great solution. Everybody usually is really happy with the solution. Unfortunately, it just takes a little bit of your own pride to that you're handing them money when they owe you money. That's that is the hardest part, getting rid of the emotion. Side I of have it. found, though, I have found, though, that cash for keys 80 percent of the time, like Lucas was saying, has been very successful in that. Hey, I've, you know, use the 500 bucks for, you know, rent a small U-Haul, get your stuff, put the deposit on your next place, and you don't have an eviction on your record. And you saved me time and money. I'm giving you some money. I already know you're in a hardship. I don't want to evict you. Take half of what I'm going to use anyways to get you out. And, and you know, maybe maybe that's an extra check on your end or whatever the case may be. But yeah, I think Cash for Keys is great. Lucas, thank you so much. Um, We're actually going to be bringing in a rookie landlord who he'll tell his story, but basically he's, you know, looking to find one more tenant. His name is Andres. Andres has his mic. There we go, Andres. So Andres, introduce yourself and, uh, you know, here's Lucas and ask your question, man. What do you got? Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much guys for letting me talk here. My name is Andres Bustamante. I am here in Austin and I uh, recently acquired my first house and I'm going to be house hacking that. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank That's you awesome. so much. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm very excited. I already have two tenants that have um, signed a contract for the house. It's a four bedroom by three and a half bathrooms. I'm just a little worried about getting the third tenant right now. I know you mentioned guidelines for uh, for finding tenants and all, but due to the coronavirus right now, how how strict should I be now? Like, should I should I be a little more strict or not? Well, vacancy is the number one killer for rental income, right? So uh, vacancy is is the thing that's going to hurt you the most. But <laughs> if you choose a bad tenant, that could easily turn into two or three or day, four months of unpaid rent. So you have to be very careful. It's a, it's a tough balance. Uh, with the coronavirus, you know, I, I found, now I, I don't live where you live and I don't, I don't know your tenants, but I found that the coronavirus has not affected somebody's ability to qualify from a historical standpoint. It doesn't change their credit report. It doesn't change their background checks. You know, it doesn't, the only thing it potentially changes is that they lose their income, right? And and you have to look at that carefully. If they do have any sort of income or savings, like that might be enough. Try to keep with your three, two to three times rental income, two to three times of the rent in income for qualification, but lower it potentially. I, I think the real key here is uh, whatever you choose, whatever your standards are, even if you lower those standards a little bit, then keep it the same for everybody. You can't you can't discriminate by giving somebody a higher bar to hit than somebody else. And if if you're nervous about a tenant who might not have normally qualified because you're having a hard time, another option is just to make it a short term lease. So if you want to kind of feel it out, just Qualify somebody that maybe wouldn't normally qualify if you're willing to lower your standards and just say, hey, we're going to do a three-month trial. It's a three-month lease. We'll re- reevaluate it then. And if it's if everything's still good and you've paid your rent on time, then we'll do another year. 
you know, and that way there's not that much risk to you. Got you. And thank you so much. And another question I have, what do you happen to, to do any concessions now that we're dealing with this, uh, everything that's going on? Are there any concessions you recommend doing to where the long run, maybe two year lease or something like that? So, so I think this is going to be interesting. I tend to do concessions that also benefit me. <laughs> and so concessions that tenants love, but it is also benefiting me in the fact that like, Hey, you know, if you move in, I'll buy a new dishwasher. Right. And so I'll put in a new dishwasher, even if the other one hasn't hit its end of life, like perhaps it will in the next couple years. And so I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to be able to keep this dishwasher for a long time after that. And so therefore it feels like they're getting a new stainless steel appliance or something, but they really also helping me. I tend to avoid any sort of monetary concession where I'm like, Hey, you don't have to pay a security deposit. <laughs> like that's just a little scary to me. What I would do instead is say, maybe we'll do a security deposit over three months and we'll, we'll split it up over three months and make it more digestible so that you won't have a problem paying it but I still get my full deposit eventually. And if you miss those deadlines and paying it, then that's grounds for lease termination. But no, I, I don't want to ever give anybody freebies necessarily because that sets a bad precedence. I, I want to make sure that they understand that this is a business relationship. I expect things to get paid and uh, I want any sort of concession to also benefit me down the road. Lucas, one of the one of the things that a lot of my tenants try to do, and maybe you can help us out during this time as well, is I get the question of like, well, hey, Felipe, uh, you know, the microwave is going out or it's not as good as when I first got here or something. How about once that gets fixed, then then we pay rent or something. And my initial response is always, look, everything in, in the house is negotiable and fixable except rent. It, like rent is the non-negotiable in all of this, right? Would you, what, would you, what would you say, say to someone, someone that, 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 are, that are starting, starting to, get to get into, into that, that during this, this epidemic? Right. And that is actually really common. So there are only a handful of reasons, uh, you know, legally, and this isn't legal advice, but there are regulations around the handful of reasons why a tenant can withhold rent. And it is usually almost, well, almost exclusively uh, around things that, that affect habitability. So if the heater's broken, right, and it's the middle of winter and they're going to freeze to death, like that's an, that's a reason not to pay rent. Right. But but maybe maybe one of the panes of wind, uh, glass in a window has a slight crack in it, right? Well, that doesn't actually affect habitability. They just think it's annoying because there's a crack in their window. And you can get around to fixing it when you need to fix it. It doesn't give them the right to withhold rent. So uh, I think there is this assumption, especially in, in um, larger cities, where it's like, if, if the rental isn't perfect to my standards, then I can withhold rent. And that is just flat out wrong. So, you know, it's, it's important for you as a landlord to set that expectation, you know, when it comes up and squash that right away and say, listen, you can't withhold rent for any reason other than habitability. And if you do, I'm taking you to court for it. Yeah, thanks for answering that, Lucas. Andres, go ahead. Sorry, man. Uh, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, you're good. Hey, so I am in a college town here in Austin, and I was wondering, do you, do you usually deal with any students? For say, yes. for example, would you have a guarantor for them? Yes, absolutely. So, uh, if they qualify among my my other standards, income, and uh, usually students don't have a credit report, like it, they just don't have enough data to have an actual report. So there's usually no results there, uh, and they usually don't have a, a rap sheet either. But uh, if they have enough income, then it's not a big deal. But usually students don't, right? They, yeah. They're paying their, 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 their university bills with student loans. 
and uh, and they don't have a job, right? They, they're full-time students. So absolutely, almost 100% of the time, I require a co-signer who does, combined with a student, you know, does meet those standard requirements of two to three times the monthly rent in income. And then they they also need to have a good credit report. I don't, however, require co-signers to, to have any sort of like... I don't care if they have an eviction history or a violent criminal past. Like, I just don't care about that because they're not living in the property. They're not going to be an occupant. It's just the tenant that I care about for that. But from a financial standpoint, the co-signer absolutely has to meet the standards. Okay, awesome. One one other question I had. So what if you were in a, if two people apply for one unit, I mean, they're going to be living together. Do you take two app fees in the same room? Good question. Great question. Yeah. So I, I do. And, and I use software that lets them pay for it directly. So I, they also get a copy of the credit report and background check that they purchase, essentially, that I get to see and they get to see. So they're getting something for their money. It's not like it just goes into the abyss, which I, you know I've been in that situation where I apply to an apartment complex and I, I never get to see anything that I paid for. So yes, I mean, each person has a credit report. Each person has an, their own background history. So there's going to be a separate fee for all that data. And I make each one of them pay it. Does that say the the security deposit for both people if it's for one room? So if it's under one lease, uh, uh, you mentioned you rent to college students. I rent to some college students and some young professionals. If the house is rented as one giant lease, like one single lease with a bunch of tenants who are jointly and severably liable, then it is just one household income. It is just one security deposit. If you're renting each individual room with a different lease, then yes, each one needs to have its own security deposit. Hey, Lucas, how do you handle the situation or how would you tell our rookies to handle the situation? And I know because when when I rented in a college town, this would happen. Where they would have a friend that's staying overnight and then stayed a week and then stayed two weeks. There for sure. And then it's like, wait a minute. So yeah, run that one. Yeah, that that's actually pretty common with younger people. Yeah. I think that it just needs to be very clear in the lease. So obviously guests are allowed, right? Guests are part of the the implied covenant of, of enjoyment, right? And that sure. they can they can enjoy the property and that includes having friends over. But what I put in my lease, and you're free to do whatever you want, but I, I, my lease says that they can only, uh, like the same person, that same guest, right? Can only spend the night 14 days in any six month period. So <laughs> can I regulate that? Absolutely not. <laughs> like I, I have no idea. I'm never going to know if that's true or not, unless it gets absurd. Right. But I think to have that stated in your lease just means that, okay, sure. Like, Hey, your mother-in-law can come and stay, you know, and if it truly is like a mother-in-law coming to help with, you know, taking care of the birth of a child or something, you know, like I don't care, but if it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend who ends up living there on the Being couch there. because you don't have anywhere else to live. Like that's a big deal, yeah. right? So right. that 14 days out of any given rolling six month period is critical to where if it becomes a problem, you can point to that in the lease and say, get this person out of the place. They don't, I don't want to see them here again, or at least sleeping here again, or I'm going to have to terminate the lease for a violation. And you can go back to the lease as you're saving grace. You're not the bad mm-hmm. guy anymore. Hey, we both agreed on these terms. It was in your lease. There you go. Exactly. Well, great questions, Andreas, and uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, hopefully uh, Lucas had some helpful information for you. For sure you did. Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate it.
Yeah, and good luck on uh, getting that last bedroom filled. So, Lucas, can you tell everyone where they can find out some more information about you? I believe you wrote a, a book on tenant screening. Is that correct? I, I did. Yeah. So it's more of a guide. So I, I am the founder of landlordology.com. It's an ultimate resource website for independent landlords who just want to learn to be better. So you can go check that out. Uh, it has everything you need, including information on your state laws regarding everything we just talked about. And it links to the actual statute so you can verify for yourself that it's real. And uh, I have a bunch of guides there too that I wrote. So Landlordology, uh, in full disclosure, is is part of Cozy. I, I I work at Cozy. I use Cozy. I've been I would use Cozy even if I didn't work yeah. there, uh, which is also uh, part of Apartments.com. So you can check out all three of those places. I'm I'm all there. And if you need to contact me, you can find my information on those sites. You know what, Lucas? It's just hitting me now, but I think we actually met before. Oh, okay. Were you at the the FinCon conference? It was. And, yeah, you gave me an Apartments.com water bottle. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley. Oh my God. I remember because you were, it was actually Felipe. It was me and your uh, mastermind partner, Diego, standing at the table. And Lucas wow. said, you know what? Let me go behind the table and get you guys one of the good water bottles. <laughs> they they was, are good water bottles. They are. Yes. I use it all the time. <laughs> I was talking to Diego before this call that I was going to have the honor to talk to Lucas. And he was like, oh, I know Lucas. From FinCon. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Diego, you know everyone. He's like, yeah, I met him at FinCon. Uh, I don't think he got a water bottle. I'm going to tell him, Ashley. Maybe he did. No, he did because but, we got it at the same oh, time. Because me okay. and him he's were like, just oh, yeah. talking he's about like, that. I've met Lucas before. He's like, I'm excited yeah. to listen to the podcast. <laughs> we're, we're a tight-knit group at FinCon, for sure. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> so um, BiggerPockets also has an ultimate guide to tenant screening. So make sure you guys check out both. You can find that at biggerpockets.com forward slash tenant screening. And make sure you join our Facebook group, uh, Real Estate Rookie. If you guys have any more questions for Lucas, you can post them in there and he'll try and answer them for you if he can. So do you want to wrap us up, Felipe? Yeah, absolutely. Lucas, one more time. Where can, do you have social media? Where can people find you there? Yeah, on Facebook and on um, Instagram. So just check out uh, landlordology.com and you'll find all the social channels right there. Awesome. Lucas, thank you so much for coming on, adding a ton of value. I think at times I stood still and was just like listening and forgot that I was the host. And I was just like <laughs> digging all this in myself. So seriously, man, these are the shows that I love where even I sit down and I'm just like soaking it all in, trying to get as much knowledge as I can. I know that, uh, you know, with everything going on, we're hoping that everyone can learn from what's going on and, and come out a better landlord on the other side. So seriously, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. Yeah, thank you, Lucas. Yeah. And I, I just want to say what you're doing here with this rookie podcast is is going to be essential. And you're, you're obviously seeing benefits now, but for real, you're going to see the benefits in five to 10 years when these, these rookies now have massive portfolios and they're changing the way renting is working in the United States. So what you're doing now is just the seed. Uh, so thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks, thank you, Lucas. Lucas. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. 
Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.